Welcome to the Strategy with Jason podcast. Tune in for everything you need to know to stay in the know regarding the automotive industry. Here's your host, Jason Harris. Hey, 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 what's going on, Podcast Nation? It is Jason Harris here, and thank you for joining me another episode of Strategy with Jason. Today, I have a very special guest, the one, the only, <laughs> the oh-so-famous Mr. Yes. Dan Trinidad with me with Dealer Fox. What's going on, Dan? How you doing? Jason, how are you? Doing well. I love the introduction. Uh, best one I've had so far. Uh, I'm now famous. Yes, I like it. Are. And I repost this on my social. <laughs> Can you put that? Is, is that kind of like your next post? Like, I'm famous. Dan I, yeah, I'm famous. For, you know, I'm going to quote Jason. <laughs> Strategy with Jason. Love it. Hey, Dan, man. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time to jam with me today. We got some super cool topics that we are going to get into, but I'd like to kick off every conversation with a little origin story and maybe because it's more for me than I think anybody else I'm always super fascinated how people get started in this crazy little world we call <laughs> the automotive industry so Dan I'm curious how did you get started in this crazy little world well you know like I think a lot of people like most people um, my father uh, was a is a 50-year car vet right I think he's retired now but uh, he was mainly in the box you know for some of the younger people here that's finance department and in six, when I was 16 years old, he brought me in as a porter. Uh, 17 years old, I was very ambitious. I wanted to sell cars. You know, a little short story here. It was at a Honda dealer. It was a big Honda dealer out in, out here in uh, in Illinois. And they told me I was too young to sell cars. And I was, you know, challenging them. I no longer wanted to wash cars. It was winter time. I didn't want to be outside. And they said, if you take that up outside, you sell them a car. You have a job. <laughs> so I walk in. I walk onto the lot. And this guy's looking at a station wagon. I can't forget the story. It's an old station wagon. It's an older gentleman. And I, I walk in, I approach him, and he literally says, get the fuck away from me. <laughs> that was that was my introduction to the sales. And I looked at him dead in the eye, and I said, listen, sir, this is the first time I've ever spoken to someone. If you can please just allow me to talk to you, stand with you for a few minutes. You know, I'm really trying to get a job. You know, you don't have to purchase anything. Can I just service you? Can I get you information, get you some coffee? And to make a long story short, that actually led to the sale. He felt real comfortable with the information I was giving him. It was a used car. It was like a $4,000 purchase at the time. And uh, sold the car, got the job. Um, from there, I went on to do a little bit backup F&I and leasing. I, I took a class at GMAC, and since my father was in the box, I went to back him up and learn a lot what he did. Um, and then I think at right around 21, 22, I realized a lot of people spend a lot of time in these dealerships. They're here 60, 70, 75 hours a week, and I, I wanted nothing to do with it. So then my life you know, took a, took a turn uh, you know, for a different cycle. And that's when I really got interested in, uh, in technology. That's oh. awesome. Yeah, I, I, lo I love the baptism by fire, you yeah. know, because I, I feel like that's kind of how we all kind of got started, right? Like, I mean, there was just, there, there was always that one customer, right? And it always seems to happen the first few days, in your case, the very first one you talk to, that's just like, F you, get away from me. But it kind of sets the stage, though. It's like, you know, you get to know that these, unfortunately, this is what their perception is, not necessarily the truth, but their perception. Um, but but once, once you're in, you get a little taste for that and you overcome those objections, why does this business get uh, addicted sure. quickly? Eh? <laughs> sure. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I enjoy doing the job. I, I think I was pretty good at it. Um, and uh, I did enjoy it for the time uh, outside of the hours and the requirements to work uh, two bust outs, you know, back in the day, two nine to nines. And on a Saturday, I think the hours was pretty much the, the, the staple that shifted me in another direction. That's awesome. Well, <laughs> hey, we got some cool topics we're going to uh, jam about today. Our first one which is one of my favorites um, is why dealers need to embrace data, data or data, data, 
We'll call it data for the day. And if we end up with data, we'll call it both. (laughs) I love this time. I would love to get your thoughts, man. Um, Look, it's so important. You know, we, we say, we hear this all the time. You know, a dealership is sitting on a gold mine of data. But do dealerships really know what that means? And do they really know how to embrace it? I'd love to kind of get your thoughts. I appreciate that. And I think this is one of the uh, the challenges that we have. I could only speak from experience. And anytime we get brought on board, you know, Dealer Fox is, is identified as a data company. Um, that's just one of the things that we do. And we, we like to tell them is, you know, we're a decision partner for independent and franchise dealers. Data is just the, the process and formula that we utilize to help dealers make better decisions. Mm-hmm. So when they first engage us and they want to know what that first best step is, we always tell them, you know, you have to embrace data and embrace change. And the reason it's so important because when you bring data to the table and you're trying to make adjustments, you know, you're trying to get from point A to point B, right? Better decisions, better results. Yep. It requires internal change within the dealership, you know, with it, whether it's, you know, software or operations or, you know, just the way they handle their processes. And if they don't embrace that and they're not excited about it and they're not, the leadership is not leading the charge, it's very difficult to get the, to achieve the total result that we're looking for because the other people in the, the rest of the team in the dealership is becomes resistant. You know, you got the, the, the tail wagging the dog, so to speak. And if they embrace data, they could literally go from point A to point B. They can go anywhere. I have a, I have a client I'm speaking with now. They want to go from 250 cars a month to 400 cars a month. Mm-hmm. Um, we did a, you know, a historical data analysis and we're looking at everything and we don't just measure marketing you're, you're never going to make a full transformation just measuring uh, marketing data. You need to measure the four, what we call the four pillars of the sales process. And that's marketing, inventory, processes, and personnel. Now, once, once we get that marketing mix just right and it's running effectively and efficiently, we have to start establishing benchmarks and look further down the line. And that's where that buy-in comes in. You know, when they embrace and they buy in to this data and they're willing to get out of their comfort zone, challenge themselves and try to achieve better results, that's when biggest change happens. Other than that, you're going to have incremental uh, improvements on marketing and minimal successes because marketing changes day to day. It has to be constantly managed. The market changes day to day. So I just think it's it's absolutely pivotal. And the first point, if you know, if we had an avatar client, it would be a dealership that wants to make better decision to achieve better results utilizing data. No, I'm with you. And I find like with a lot of the dealerships that I, I have the opportunity to consult with or talk to is, you know, there's still a lot of managers out there that I would say they're, they're data indifferent, meaning like they don't really care. Like, I yeah. know what the data says, or the data, um, but my gut says this. Mm-hmm. And, and, and we're, we're still, we're still operating and managing yes. like that. Right. And then I find, and this is the one that always kind of throws me off guard. And I'm curious if you see it too, but I, the managers and owners that are actually fearful of the data, like they're, they're, they're afraid of, they're like, they're afraid of it. And I've never quite understand that. Have you seen this too? And how, how do you think we can overcome that? We, we do, we do see it. We see it quite often. And we always, uh, when we start working with a dealer, we have, we call them two types of uh, different clients, right? Or partners. You have a management level team that 
has an absolute want and need to achieve results and get better. And they're willing to take any measure to get there. And if data is part of that process and they're not doing something according to spec, they're willing to change. And it makes a lot of sense. You think, you know, most or everyone would, would see it the same way, but we run into quite often. I think it's 50, 50. You'll have some management uh, management team that feels responsible for the performance that they already invested in. And they they're a little bit hesitant to expose their weaknesses because they want ownership to have a hundred percent buy-in in their belief system and what they feel. And unfortunately that churn rate within that dealership is always high. You know, we, we've seen that client and we went there and we almost, you know, um, had a partnership and this person didn't want to be fully transparent. They didn't want to expose, you know, the data um, and make decisions off of it. And then, you know, six months, a year later, there's a new GM, six months or a year later, there's a new GM. And it's, it's really a big challenge. And the way we try to overcome it is we always let, you know, the, our management team know that we want to work with is, you know, you have the opportunity to be one of the most prepared general managers in your auto group. You know, every mm-hmm. time you go to uh, a monthly meeting or, or you're asking for a, a larger budget, you know, we're not here to cut your budget. We're here to make your budget efficient. If you would like to go in there with numbers and data to support your objectives, we'll provide that for for you. You no longer have to operate in the dark. Nobody has all the answers, not us. We make incremental, we make adjustments so we can get incremental improvements. Some of them are home runs. Some of them take time. Some of them don't work. But as long as you can be hundred percent confident with the decisions that you make based off the data that you were presented, the best decision today with the information in front of you, that's all anyone could ask for. And, and if I can, you know, really send a message to, you know, some of the managers out there that are hesitant to show what they have behind the scenes is, don't be scared. Don't be afraid. Data is your friend. Data will help you improve and get better. And it's going to increase your value within the dealership and probably longevity. Right? This is a long sentence. I don't know where I, I, it was like a run on. It's all good. It's, it's all good. <laughs> but, but no, Dan, I, th- I think you got some great points, but I love the fact that you, you bring up, you know, operations, you know, because I, I find that uh, a lot of the reasons why we don't get that, that data embracement is because there's such a division in the departments that are dealing with the data, right? You have data coming from your operations, you have data coming from your marketing, all right? You have vendors that are producing data and it's just, there's just these islands and they're all kind of separated. And speaking of islands, actually, that's a great, that's why I want to go with this. This is my segue, okay? Is, you know, marketing versus operations, why is it always kind of seem like there's this tension or this distance between them? And and what do you think we can do about that? Uh, I I think that, they go hand in hand. So for, first and foremost, it's all related. There is, is, is a, there's, a, uh, there's a relationship between marketing and inventory, inventory and processes, processes and personnel, and everyone has to be on the same page in order to achieve you know, a full result. I think when what we can do about it is if we can speak to operations and marketing and let one another know the impact you know, that, the, that their relationship has on performance and on the dealer's investment, you know, they spend so much money at the top of the mm-hmm. funnel on marketing and they're, they're trying to generate and drive traffic into the store. And they're so hesitant to have that communication and relationship and change, you know, with operations and vice versa. I think they, they have to be empathetic to one another and really understand each other's, you know, pain points and, and, and investment, you know, both time and money. Maybe that's, that's, I know I'm with you. I'm with you. In fact, I mean, look, you've had the opportunity to be in a lot of dealerships. I've been had the opportunity to be in a lot of dealerships and the dealerships that I think utilize their data the best are the ones where the marketing and the operations department are working 
really close side by side with each other. I, I find I find too often you have the marketing department upstairs, then you got your operations team, you know, downstairs, your sales team, your service sure. parts, everything. And like the amount of communications might as well just be like uh, sending Morse code across sure. multiple islands and just saying, hey, what do you want to sure. do this month? <laughs> you know what, Jason, I, I guess our whole business model is, is, um, is wrapped around tying the whole knot together, right? Mm, yes. So we have our, you know, there's a shameless plug. We have our own platform, but that platform, we report to the entire team because the entire team has a report on the platform. We're reporting on marketing uh, on processes and personnel, software, inventory, vendors. And we have multiple meetings with all involved, including vendors. So I think we tie it in. I haven't had meetings in the past few years without marketing and operations in the same room, so to speak, and going over performance uh, reviews. No, that's actually a good point because I'm always surprised to find out how often there are separate meetings. Like, you know, yeah. I'll, talk to, I'll be talking to a general manager. He's like, well, I got my marketing meeting. And then just after that, I got to meet with the operations team. Sure. I was like, what? Why aren't they? But, but no, I'm with you. And, and I think you see the same thing I do. The, the, the closer those departments are working side by side, the faster they are able to embrace the data and then use it to sure. better everything. Sure. Um, you know what? I think I could easily do a whole podcast with you just on data. Yeah. But I know we got a few other topics and I want to throw this one in there because <laughs> it's one that I, I get a giggle out of. Right. And, uh, you know, that's SEO. Okay. Okay. Look, love it. Know, as a dealer principal, I can't tell you how many vendors wanted to sell me SEO first page, Google listings guaranteed no matter what. And it's, um, I mean, that was years ago. I, mm. I'm amazed that it's like, 2022 right around the corner and we are still getting hit as an industry like dealers are still getting hit with what we call this this fake seo the snake oil so for everyone out there watching listening dan i'd love to kind of get your take on the difference between real seo and how we can avoid the pitfalls of fake seo fantastic well i got a little short funny story for you (laughs) you know i started uh working on seo you know somewhat 20 years ago, probably. You're and OG, I, w- I wasn't very, I wasn't very good at it. Um, <laughs> you, you had a, a bunch of other, you know, companies. I had a small little business and I wanted to work with local businesses and improve their search results. And I didn't know all the, what they call black hat tactics. I didn't know <laughs> how to leverage, you know, software so you can get the, um, the different uh, um, performance rankings and whatnot and rank higher on your SR, SR, SRP pages. Uh, so all I ever did was what's real SEO to me was answer a, a user search intent, right? Answer their question, provide them with the information that they're looking for. So, you know, we have a, a basic rules. We're going to say we have three or four answers that we want to question. Uh, we have three or four questions we want to answer with mm-hmm. this, you know, blog post or with this social post or, you know, with this page of, well, with this content page. And after we produce this page, we want to see, did we answer that question? After that, that's where, you know, your specialties come into place. And you know how to um, optimize the page and then leverage the page for distribution so it can, you know, gain some organic traffic. Uh, and as the years went on and as, as the algorithm started to improve, my pages started ranking higher and ranking higher and ranking higher. And it had nothing to do with trying to study or, 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 you know, be a specialist in SEO. I was just trying to provide the same exact experience that I did offline. Right. I wanted to give the end user or the consumer a great experience. I wanted to answer their questions. I wanted to make it as simple as possible to, to get to their solution. And I wanted to provide them and deliver them a great service. And I think when you look at SEO the same way, and I talk to, you know, whether it's our vendor partners or these dealers, and our approach to SEO is very similar. 
Um, now you have technical SEO, you know, just for some people out there, you have to make sure you have no errors, no three, you know, the 401 redirects and, and you want to clean up, you know, your broken links and whatnot. That's technical SEO. You have your onsite SEO where a lot of the vendors are selling what, well, you know, we can call snake oil. They're producing blog pages and content that, you know, have very, uh, there's no entry pages. People are not looking for that information. Yep. Um, they don't have the, they don't meet the criteria, the keywords uh, density, you know, the inbound outbound links, you know, the, the, the uh, cadence and the H1, uh, H2 uh, um, headers. There's a lot of things that they don't do. And what's funny is, I recently had a company that's, you know, highly touted in this industry and they charge a premium for SEO. And we're looking at, we're looking at reports and I told them, I appreciate your reports, but you know, we're looking for what is our value? You know, yeah. what, what, what have we generated? What have we done? And they're just continuously focusing on, you know, reports. Well, I have a reporting company, so I, you know, I, I can kind of figure that out. And they forgot to submit the pages to, you know, Google webmaster to Google search console. You know, you know, obviously in SEO, a little tidbit you can understand is once you create content, you know, Google, Google will find that itself within a six month period, or you can just submit it, you know, to the search console and give it an opportunity to be found in 72 hours. Right. And you can start ranking a little faster and there doesn't have to be, you know, so much uh, latency between the, the production of, of, of your content and when it's seen now, when it's, once Google starts recognizing it, if they're not converting you know, uh, on your page and people aren't interested and you're not going to rank. Yep. Uh, and, and, and so that's one of them. Another, another huge uh, area, which is, which is really um, interesting is there's so many different call to actions, especially in the automotive industry on these pages and they're all outsourced. You know, they're, they're wireframed in. Isn't that crazy? One, it's crazy. One of the huge values in SEO was conversion. Anyone who takes action, they're going to fill out a form or, or request, you know, information or schedule a test drive. All those are hard conversions. And that's what we call Google juice. That's going to boost your SEO value. And if you're bringing in third party plugins all across the board, you're not going to, you're not going to optimize your site. And you're not going to get that value. Um, so, you know, there, there's a whole lot of uh, ways you can, you can um, approach SEO, but I think what you want to do is you want to have your technical SEO sound. You want to have your, your onsite SEO sound and your offsite SEO sound. And that's, you know, whether it's your Google, my business, your social media pages or other external pages and links. You, you know what's going through my head right now? What's that? <laughs> I'm getting such a giggle out of Google Juice. Like, yeah. Is that is that? Can I buy that somewhere? <laughs> you know what? People that they, they I like to speak in terms that. But no, it totally makes sense. Understand? It, it, yeah, look, it 100 makes sense. I mean, you know, but I, I'm with you. This is very much so a field of dream scenario. Build it and they will come. Right. Right. You know, it, there's there's not a magic button. This isn't a this isn't a diet pill or a get rich quick scenario. Right. Huh. This is this is being strategic about identifying the questions that your customers have and answering that. But then either yourself or working with a partner to execute on content content rich pages that answers that answers those questions but what will rank accordingly uh to best practices you know for google and so on so no dude i i'm, I'm with you but i love i love the google juice by the way I yeah, think that's Google what I want to call this video. Can I just put the title? I'm just going to put the title here. Google juice. I Google love it. Juice. It'll get a lot of clicks. People will watch it and, you know, we start off with this segment, right? Dude, I think uh, that's awesome. But I'm yeah. with you. And and I think if anybody out there that's watching and listening right now and um, you guys are looking at your organic efforts, if you're not, you need to be. Okay. You need to, you need to be looking at your organic efforts and you need to be asking yourself, you know, is my website answering those questions? You know, I, th Absolutely. I think that's a great first step. Don't you think? 
Absolutely. And also when you sit with the marketing team or the leadership team and they're talking about, they want to expand their market, you know, and they want to, you know, generate more business. They want to sell more cars. Well, you, your opportunity is in organic traffic. If you want to expand your market, you have to expand your reach, right? And how do you expand your reach? If you continue to target bottom of the funnel traffic, there's only so many, you know, there's so, so, so much of an audience you're going to target. They've already exactly. decided which car is best. Is it right for me? Can I afford it? Now they're on, where should I go? And, you know, that's where the majority of the investment's being spent. SEO is an, in, uh, is an inexpensive way to target the top of the funnel. Yes. Now, if you expand your reach, you also have to expand your processes. You have to be able to communicate with these online uh, shoppers at an early stage without alienating them. You can't be, you know, coming to the dealer, we'll give you a good price. So it goes hand in hand. But I think a lot of uh, what we tell all of our, our dealer partners is you have to look at this almost like a real estate agent and how they build a pipeline, you know, early on. They'll talk to someone who's a year out, you know, year and a half out for purchasing a home. They build a pipeline. So they, they're trying to avoid having these downtimes. And, you know, within the automotive industry, it should be looked at very similar. You don't always have to wait and focus on where should I go? You have to expand your market and take them away from the OEM pages or, or you know, car and driver admins and answer some of these questions on your site so they can engage your dealership early in the funnel. And by the time they get to where should I go, you've already taken them off the market. When I tell you the the deep blue sea is is there's not a lot of uh, competition there. It's very low competition, and it's 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 right for the taking. And that's the only way you're going to expand your market in order to sell more vehicles or get more people interested in your brand and in, in your franchise and your OEM. A hundred percent. But you know the the key to that, and you, you you talked about it, is that you actually have to want to think or look past a thirty day cycle. Sure. Right. Um, you know, I mean, I mean, I think sure. this is actually a perfect segue into our next topic yeah. because, you know, uh, too often in our marketing efforts, our operations efforts, our SEO efforts, we are so insanely focused on bottom funnel, bottom funnel, bottom funnel. If they don't want to buy a car in the next 30 days, screw it. I don't want to invest time in that, you know, but I think the most progress, more progressive dealers or smarter dealers do understand that, you know, that life cycle, that purchasing cycle has changed quite a bit. In fact, I'd sure. love to get your take because how timely is this right now, especially yes. with inventory shortages and inventory yes. levels seem to be yes. the hottest topic. I mean, look, I can't go into a meeting or a room or an event where, where one of the first three questions are asked. So, so what are you seeing where you are? You know, so it's crazy. So I'm curious to get your take on how inventory levels are affecting the, the purchasing cycle. Okay. Uh, what we've seen, and, and we had some data supported, the purchasing cycle extended, right? You know, before we were looking at 120 days out when people were starting to tippy toe around and start looking for their vehicle. And now we've seen that that's extended a couple more months out. They understand that there's an inventory shortage, especially with new vehicles, and they need to start getting into the market a little earlier, identifying the vehicle that they, their vehicle of interest, and, and they're starting to snoop around. Also, price are higher. So, you know, they're trying to see if the market's going to shift and it's going to be a little more advantageous for them. Mm -hmm. So now you have an op real opportunity to get some brand awareness and get them the information and content they want. And you could probably start increasing your pre-orders, which most OEMs is the direction they kind of want to go in. They don't, they, they don't want to give so much allocation anymore and have cars sit on the dealership slot when they could have pre-orders taking place. And I think Ford is, is taking the baton on that and really trying to implement that into their process. So that's one of them. And what we also found was 
60 years and older, their their purchase cycle is actually shrinking. They're saying it's taking so long to get a car. You know what I mean? I don't know if this mm-hmm. is you know one of my last purchases, but I want to get in the market a little quicker and I'm ready to purchase a vehicle. So it's a little dynamic uh, there. That's for new inventory. And in terms of used car inventory, I mean, these, these, uh, these, uh, why, what was I going to say? <laughs> I had a little brain fart there, uh, Jason. No um, in terms of used car inventory, their margins on these, on these vehicles, you know, but they're, they're probably the best they've seen in a long time. 100%. And a lot of, a lot of the strategies that they're looking at is we don't have to market or advertise at all. You know, we're not worried about our process. If we have the vehicle, they're going to pay for because they can't get it anywhere else. And, and I think dealers that really get it are starting to prepare for when this time changes, you know, yes, when, when, right. when it starts to come back and they have to be, you know, what are you looking at? What data sets are you looking at to trigger you to start having you make a change and start implementing change so you can adjust to that market where you're going to find yourself way back, you know, of the line when it comes to where should I go? Well, and I think to get prepared and I'm with you, I think most progressive dealerships out there do look way past the 30 day mark and they do look at their operations, their marketing, their website, their SEO, um, and they look at it from a six month perspective or a year perspective, right? And I think, and I think that's actually maybe one of the advantages that this inventory shortage has created is that it is forcing you as an operator to look forward, plan more in advance. Like, you know, I, I, I can ask a manager how many units they're getting in next week and they literally know to the T how many units sure. before all of this it was never even a conversation, right? So, you know, they're, they're planning things. I got 33 units coming at the end of the month. This is what I need to do. All right, the 17th of next month, I got another 42 and that, and, and so on and so forth. So I actually don't necessarily think that it's a bad thing, but you kind of brought something up. You know, when we're talking about partners, we're talking about vendors. And I think that's that's a great segue into the, the, our next topic because I think it's super important moving forward is to really truly define what I call the vendor stew. Sure. You know, okay. and, and, and you guys do a lot of work in this place. And that's why I want to pick your brain on it okay. is for the dealers out there that are looking forward. And what I mean, if anybody watching or listening, what I mean by the vendor stew is, look, you got a mix of everything in there. You know, you got your lead management, you got your marketing, you got your CRM, you know, you got your website widget, you have your website. And there's just all this, this, this everything in there. And the stew is supposed to taste good, you know, not only mm-hmm. to you, but to your customer. But I would love to get your perspective on how we can better that stew, you know, sure. uh, moving forward. Absolutely. So I, I guess one, one of our strengths is we don't have any blind spots. We're able to look and work with all the vendors, whether it's, you know, the software provider, you know, the marketing person, social media, whatever SEO vendor, whatever the vendor is, we work hand in hand with them because we always establish a benchmark and so we can improve performance. What we found is the best way to get the most out of your vendors too is we set, first of all, where we started, we set a criteria. Uh, vendors have to be transparent, with us, with their dashboards, with the information that we're, we're that we're aggregating, gathering, and and um, so that's the first step. You got to be transparent. Mm-hmm. The next step is you have to be willing to make adjustments according to data. You know, if you want to work on our team, you have to be part of a team, part of a solution. Uh, a lot of vendors that are a little uh, hiding, they 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 rather be right instead of you know get better. They don't <laughs> yes. tend to be as transparent or share the information. And we, when we bring an opportunity to the table where there's opportunity to improve performance and make adjustments, we get a lot of, you know, pushback. Uh, so we, we say you have to be transparent, you have to be willing, and then you have to be able, you have to have the ability in the team to execute, to make these adjustments. Um, so those, those are the three key points that we look for when we work with vendors and the vendors do. And it's usually 
determined by the rep, who the rep is. You know, I've worked with great software, bad rep, couldn't find me a good rep, mm-hmm. had to switch vendors. I worked with so-so software and with a great rep and kept them around for years until they switched the vendor and then everything was bad. But uh, I think having a great rep who's available, who's uh, who turnaround time is, is, is good, and they're a good communicator, both for our client and for their internal team, really makes all the difference when we're, we're talking about vendor and vendors too. So if you can be transparent, willing, and able, and you know, you're available and you're a good rep and you know how to communicate, I think that's really the secret to success in putting your vendor mix together. You know, you're going to have some, some vendors who just can't do the job. You know, mm-hmm. they, they don't meet the ability to do the job. They might be transparent and willing, but they don't have the technology or the, or the, or the, or the team you know, to support their objectives. You know, unfortunately, that does happen time to time. But what we found is most vendors have good enough software and good enough intention with a good enough rep and we're able to work hand in hand with one another. But what I realize is a lot of, lot of uh, leadership and dealerships, they've made the investment. They'd rather have this vendor mix work and then start canceling out or bringing something else in. It's always harder to restart something sure. than to just improve what's already there. So, you know, our first, uh, our first uh, goal is always to communicate, shake the trees a little bit, get them adjusted. And even if we don't get the performance or there's pushback, we still try to break down that wall so we can get some victories under our belt and they could see, wow, these guys aren't that bad. You know, our retention is going to be a little bit higher and a little bit longer. They do like us. Uh, so it takes a little bit of time to get there, but I think, you know, just be part of a team. Oh, well, that's and, what it is. Right. And it is, it's all about being just a part of the team, you know, uh, vendors, and dealers working side by side. It's that full transparency, but I think transparency goes both ways. And so this is this this is where I kind of, for anybody watching and listening, this is, you know, um, my secret sauce. God, we're talking about all kinds of food stuff. Maybe we're all hungry today. We got Google juice, we got vendor stew. Now I'm talking secret sauce. Like what is this stuff, man? I gotta go eat lunch after this. Um, but, <laughs> but, but, but no, I mean, I, I, I've found that my secret sauce in the past was being fully transparent with my vendors as far as what my goal, goal and objectives were, right? And then them being fully transparent with me as far as how they're able to assist me in those goals and objectives. Sure. And we're not always going to win. And in fact, in fact, so transparent that we want to be able to both as dealer and vendor embrace our failures, learn, learn from it together as a partner and continue to move forward. You know, I think if you can get to that place with your vendor stew, some amazing things are going to happen. Hey, Dan, Absolutely. I know we're getting towards the tail end of our time today, but man, but we've covered some seriously cool topics and I still think there's a lot to chew on. See, look at this, man. I'm, 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 I'm hungry. Not <laughs> <laughs> to chew on. I get it. I'm hungry to chew on. Sauce, Google juice. We got all the good stuff. Yes. Hey, uh, but before I let you go though, for everybody that's watching and listening right now and uh, you know, are thinking and chewing on what we've talked about. Sure. <laughs> um, and by the love to Chicago, we got some great restaurants. <laughs> I'm coming, man. I'm coming. Right. Um, what, what's the best way to connect with you so they can continue some of these conversations? Sure. Uh, you can go right to dealerfox.com. Uh, we have some, uh, a few different call to action so you can you know, get in our calendar and, and we can get, have, have a conversation. You can find me on LinkedIn, Dan Trinidad. Um, you can call dealer Fox number 844-369-9800. Real simple. It goes in a row. <laughs> awesome, so. man. Hey, Dan, thank you so much for taking the time to jam with me today. This has been a lot of fun. You have yourself an amazing day. You too. Thanks, Jason. Appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in to the Strategy with Jason podcast with your host, Jason Harris. 
Don't want to miss new content? Be sure to check out the full podcast library at strategywithjason.com to stay in the know. Remember to like, comment, and subscribe. Happy podcasting.